The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. So very glad that you have chosen to carve out time on your Christmas Eve to gather in this place. And again, I have one objective this morning. One objective in my teaching, one objective in this service is that we would behold Jesus, that we would fix our eyes on Him. And that as we look to him, as we behold him through the lens of the Christmas story, that we would worship him and that he would be made much of in this place. I have to confess, I am a Christmas romantic. I love this time of year. It's, we were listening to Christmas music in our household since early November, thanks to my wife. We love the music, the movies, the festivities, the food, the traditions. We just love it. And, you know, I have three kids in college, and all three of my kids are home from college. And as you know, as parents, when your kids are all together, it's just everything's right in the world for a few minutes, right? It's just right in the world. And one of the great things about our household this year is that we have a three-year-old, my grandson Wilson, who just makes everything so much more fun at Christmas time. Kids are such a blessing. Wilson, he's so excited. He's three, so he kind of gets it. He understands the whole deal now. And he's like, uh, he's like, pop, pop. Two more sleeps till Christmas. I'm like, that's right, buddy. Two more sleeps till Christmas. I got to tell you, man, this little boy, he's like my whole world. If, if you've ever been threatened with losing the excitement of the Christmas season, just hang around a three-year-old at Christmas time. It'll, it'll infuse that joy right back into your heart. And I've been thinking about Wilson. You know, he was born in the year 2020. You guys remember that year? 2020? What a year, right? I was just... Apart from our family relocating to Medford, Oregon, a lot happened in the year 2020. I just was perusing some of the headlines recently. Donald Trump was undergoing uh, impeachment hearings in the halls of Congress. The, The World Health Organization declared a global pandemic and the world shut down. Do you remember that? George Floyd, uh, his death in Minneapolis led to civil unrest and protests and riots in the streets of cities across America. Chief Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away, leaving a vacancy for the U.S. Supreme Court, this coveted position of power. And Donald Trump nominated Amy Comey Barrett to that position, and she rose to that office. And as we all know, there was a national election in 2020, and the White House flipped, and many people were pursuing positions of power and influence, and some people won power, some people lost power, some people maintained power. Those were just American headlines, the jockeying of position, the, 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 the shaking headlines that went global. And that's just in America. What about the world? All that transpired in 2020, it was a shocking, a brutal, a difficult, a history-making year. And yet for me, the most significant event of 2020 happened on June 18th when God bought, brought little Wilson Gray into our lives. By far the most significant event that year for me. As the world's focus was on headlines concerning pandemics and politics and power struggles and protests, my focus was on a birthing center in West Allis, Wisconsin, and this obscure little birth that really nobody in the world knew about, but my daughter was was giving birth to a son. And little Wilson Gray Stevens was making his transition, the biggest event of the year for us. See, on this Christmas Eve, hundreds of people are gathered here in this sanctuary, millions across the country, billions across the planet, to focus on what was, by all accounts, by all worldly accounts, an obscure birth. An unwed teenage mother, impoverished and poor from a forgotten town, far from home, gave birth to a little boy, not in a hospital, not in a birthing center, not in a home, not even in an inn, but she gave birth to a little boy, in the humblest of settings among animals, and she wrapped him tightly in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. 
This unknown woman from an unremarkable place gave birth to a child, and here we are 2,000 years later, joining the, the voices of billions as we gather and behold the child. Isn't that miraculous? If you brought a Bible this morning, I encourage you to open up to Luke's Gospel. We're going to be in chapter 1. If you have a Bible app, feel free to open up a Bible app. We're in the New Testament, the third book of the New Testament. As we open up to Luke's Gospel, we, we are reminded of where we've been so far. The first chapter of Luke's Gospel, there's an introduction in the first four verses, and then we, we hear the story of how an angel visited Zechariah, this priest in Jerusalem, and told him even though he was old and his wife was old and they had no kids and, and, and she was unable to have kids and she was beyond childbearing years, the angel told Zechariah that he would have a son and his name would be John and he would be this, this one who would prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Zacharias struggled to comprehend. Reluctantly, he found himself submitting to the will of God, and because of his reluctance, the angel took his ability to speak. But in obedience, Zechariah went home. He laid with his wife. She became pregnant. The angel said, we've heard your prayers. God has heard your prayers, and he's answering your prayers. And then here we are, six months later, that same angel that visited that old priest and his old wife, that same angel who visited them in the, in the holy city and the temple in Jerusalem is now in this small little community of Nazareth, not in a temple but in a small town, not visiting an old man but a young girl. And we see the encounter beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. In the sixth month, an angel, the angel Gabriel, was sent from God to the city of of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary and he came to her the angel came to her and he said greetings O favored one the Lord is with you but she was greatly troubled at the saying and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be verse 30 and the angel said to her do not be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God and behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of most, the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, you are relative Elizabeth, and her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who, has, who was called barren. Verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said to the angel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Oh God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to comprehend the truth of this text. We pray in Jesus' name. This gospel, the gospel of Luke, was written by a man named Luke. Luke was a friend, a missionary companion of the apostle Paul. Luke was a Gentile, a non-Jew, he was a brilliant man, a physician, a theologian, a historian. He authored both the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, two massive works in the New Testament that comprise a full third of the totality of the New Testament. A famous archaeologist commented of Luke in this way. He said, Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, 
But Luke should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. And so what we have before us in the Gospel of Luke is a very carefully constructed account of Jesus and how he came to be. Luke is a is a historian who knows exactly what's transpiring across the planet. We read of the details all throughout his gospel and all throughout the book of of Acts. He knows what's going on. He's fully aware of who's in power and what positions they hold. And yet when it comes to him situating you and me, his audience, when he's situating us to this story of Jesus and this this miraculous conception, this, this miracle child, both God and man in the womb of Mary, he doesn't do so. He doesn't orient us by what's happening in the power struggles and in the politics of the day. The the story and the announcement of the coming of Jesus is not embedded within these large global realities. He doesn't tell us this is happening during the reign of Caesar Augustus or as the Roman Empire was rising to power. He doesn't mention what's going on with, with Herod the Tetrarch. He doesn't talk about the governor Pontius Pilate. No, no, no. He could have embedded the announcement of Jesus' birth in all those historical realities, but instead, Luke emphasizes for us a much more important frame of reference of God's active intervention in history. If you and I were just civilians who lived in and around this part of the world in this time, if we had our, our, our news apps on our phone as we were scrolling through Fox News, CNN, AP, whatever your news source is, there would be nothing in here about this girl in Nazareth. It would be everything about the, the power struggles and the, the headlines of the day. However, when Luke tells us this historical moment, this truth, this reality, he, he makes all the other leaders, this one who is coming, to the earth, this one who's being announced here in our text, he makes all the other leaders and powers look puny. Here in the opening verses of Luke's gospel, as God is about to change all of human history, he is not concerning himself, God is not concerning concerning himself, nor is Luke concerning himself with the powers that be. No, instead, his focus is on these two obscure Jewish women. Elizabeth, this old woman who is barren, who's now far beyond childbearing years, who now has a a child that is being knitted together in her womb, and this young girl who is sitting under the announcement that she will bear a son. Luke, the historian, is wanting us to recognize that God is at work here. And what we're reading in the pages of this passage right now today is by far the most significant event that has ever transpired in human history. Caesar's a nobody. The Roman Empire is a nothing compared to what God is doing and what God is kicking off right here as he manifests himself through the angel Gabriel to Mary. So if you would, for the next few moments, just take a minute with me to journey through this text a little bit more closely to see what we can see as together we fix our eyes on Christ this Christmas. Amen? Here's the first thing I would encourage you to write down if you are a note taker. The first thing we see in our text is God's will announced. We see that God's will is being announced here. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth. The sixth month of what? Well, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. That's what. Gabriel, who had visited Zechariah and his wife six months earlier, is now before Mary, and he's bringing another announcement This isn't the announcement of John who's going to be the the one who paves the way for Jesus. This is a different kind of announcement. He says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And for Mary, you know, by all accounts, she's a teenager, 14, 15, 16, a young woman at this time. By all accounts, 
And here, standing before her in the city of Nazareth, is this angelic being who has been sent by God from the presence of God, and it's a terrifying experience. The text tells us that Mary was greatly troubled at this saying. What could this mean? What does the angel mean when he says, Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you? And the angel says, Mary, don't be afraid, which is what angels always say when they show up in the, in the biblical stories. And then he begins to share some very specific information with Mary about what's going to happen. He starts by telling her that she's going to conceive a child, a baby. And as unsettling as an angelic visit may be, here's a young woman who's betrothed to be married and she's told by an angel of the Lord she's going to conceive a child. That's good news, right? She's thinking, yes, I've got this betrothed. His name is Joseph. We're going to be married soon. And God is telling me that he's going to bless us with a son. Praise God. But as the angel keeps talking, it becomes clear that this is not a natural conception. Gabriel is describing a very unusual situation and he's describing an unusual child. There's also this sense as the angel is communicating with Mary that this is not something that's in the distance. This is imminent. This is going to happen sooner than later. And then in verse 32, this angel begins to speak of the one whom God will place in the womb of this woman. He tells us in verse 32 that he will be great, this child. How great will the child be? Well, he will be Lord of Lords and King of Kings, the greatest of the great. Everything pales in comparison to his greatness. He will be called the Son of the Most High. He will be called the Son of God. Why is he going to be called the Son of God? Because he is the Son of God. That's why. And he's going to be a king. We read language in here of his throne and of his reign and of his kingdom. And fourthly, we read that he is going to be over the top of a kingdom that will never end. He will reign forever and ever. He will forever rule with universal and eternal authority. And there is nothing that will be a threat to his power ever. Other kings and other kingdoms are always worried about their end. And as we've read read through the book of Daniel as a church, we've seen the, the rise of the Assyrians and the fall of the Assyrians, the rise of the Babylonians and the fall of the Babylonians, the rise of the Medes and the Persians and the fall of the Medes and the Persians, the rise of the Greek Empire and the fall of the Greek Empire, the rise of the Romans and the Byzantines and so on and so forth. Kingdoms come and go. Kings live and reign and die and fall into obscurity. But this king has no threat to his eternal rule. He is king forever. And so here's Mary, this teenager with a still-developing brain trying to comprehend what this angel is saying to her. And and Luke makes sure to tell us in verse 27 that this, this Mary, she is betrothed to a man named Joseph who is a descendant of the great King David. That's a very important bit of information that Luke includes for us, the historian, that he includes for us in this story. This is David of Goliath fame. This is David who is all throughout the Old Testament, dominating the Old Testament landscape. And so we're we're understanding as this angel is appearing to Mary and announcing this to her, we're we're recognizing that this, this, this is something that goes way back beyond this moment. It goes back to David and the promise God made with David in 2 Samuel 7. It goes back to, to really to David's ancestor Judah. But really it goes beyond Judah. It goes to to. Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham, and the promise God made with Abraham in Genesis 12. But really it goes back to, before that, even to the Garden of Eden as as God is speaking a curse over the serpent and he tells the serpent that the seed of Eve will crush his head one day. It it goes even beyond that. This this thing that's unfolding in our presence that's being spoken to Mary, it really goes back before the foundations of the world. This is the plan of God to redeem his people. God 
in his mind, determined that a Savior would be needed before history began. And so Luke, by telling us that Joseph is from the lineage of David, Luke is wanting us to know, them to know that the original audience and us is the audience today. He's wanting us to know that, that this is a, what's happening here in Luke 1 is, is a huge deal. What's about to happen is big. It, it is fulfilling centuries-old, millennia-old promises from God. So, so in other words, pay attention. All the headlines that are, that, are, that are tempting to grab your attention are nothing compared to what's happening right here in the pages of Scripture. And Luke also tells us, on three separate occasions in our passage, it mentions that, that Mary was a virgin. So on the one hand, Mary understands the natural process of pregnancy, and she understands how birth works and how nurturing a child works. And, but on the other hand, she's utterly confused about what is going to happen as this angel is making this announcement to her. The angel has made clear that this is going to be, on one hand, a fully human child who's going to be in her womb, and, and there's going to be a natural process of gestation and pregnancy and delivery. And then the angel also says that this child is unlike any child who's ever lived. He is mighty and the son of God and the eternal king over an eternal kingdom and an utterly unusual child. So you can understand the confusion that Mary may be feeling in these moments. We get to verse 34, and she looks at this angel in an innocently... And understandably, she asks, how is this to be, since I'm a virgin? So after we hear the God's will announced, we see the angel answer the question. And so we see God's way, secondly, God's way is revealed. We see God's will announced, and then Mary asks this question, and then Gabriel responds here in a few minutes, and he, he tells us how it is God is going to do this. God's way is revealed. She's looking at this angel. How's this going to happen? I'm, I'm a virgin. I've, I've known no man. I've had no sexual relations with a man ever. How is this going to happen? It's a legitimate question. And Gabriel simply says in verse 35, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, Gabriel says to Mary, Mary, God is going to do this. This miracle that's going to transpire in your womb will be the mysterious, quiet, unseen work of the Holy Spirit, Mary. He will come up on you and overshadow you. And that language, there is nothing sexual about that language at all. It speaks, actually, it's a poetic expression about the beautiful presence of God who will be near Mary through this miraculous thing that God is going to do. And it will be God who will divinely place a divine child in her womb. And so quite simply to her question, how will this be? Gabriel simply says, God is going to make this happen. See, I understand the human tendency to hear that and think to ourselves, really? Really? Virgin? Birth? Really? Could it be that maybe Joseph and Mary passed over some boundaries and found themselves in a precarious situation and came up with a story and then Jesus had a ministry and people got enamored with Jesus and this is sort of a legend that, 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 that stuck. Could that be a plausible explanation for how the virgin, virgin birth took place? Listen, you can doubt the claims of the biblical authors if you want. But whether we believe it or not, Luke is presenting for us in this passage, he is presenting the virgin birth as something that he absolutely believes to be the absolute truth. And he's writing this for you and me today that we would believe it also. 
Again, you can doubt the claims of the biblical authors, but what we're reading in the Bible today, and if we tend to read the Bible correctly, we recognize that the Bible is calling us to believe in the virgin birth. And it's not just found in Luke's gospel. You go to Matthew's gospel. Chapter 1, verse 18, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with the Holy Spirit. Later on in Matthew chapter 1, as Joseph is struggling with what to do with his betrothed, is pregnant, and he's trying to understand what's happening. An angel appears to Joseph and says, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And then an angel says this, That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And later on, as Joseph wakes from his dream, Matthew makes sure to tell us that Joseph knew Mary not until she had given birth to a son. This is, and the authors of the biblical story are telling us this is a virgin birth. And one thing is very clear when we listen to the claims of Scripture. Whether we want to believe it or not, the Scripture has one testimony when it comes to this. Jesus was conceived by a miraculous work of God in the womb of Mary without a human father. It was God who did this. God, not Joseph, is the father of Jesus. And so because of that, Jesus in his very nature is God. Jesus, in Jesus, the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. And the gospel of Luke is calling on us to believe that truth. And this is so important. Why is it so important? Well, I was thinking about it this week. I was... I was thinking about, I was meditating on this passage and I was meditating on, man, God, you're going you're gonna to assemble a group of people at Heritage Christian Fellowship on Sunday and, and we're going to light candles and we're going to sing Christmas carols and we're going to have fires and cookies and hot cocoa and we're going to do all the holiday things, which is lovely and wonderful and amazing, but I don't want us to just come and have all the holiday feels and miss the, the point of the story. So why is it so important that we meditate on this truth of who Jesus was? Fully God and fully man. Well, think about it. I was, I was scrolling. I was trying to write the sermon, and I, I'm frustrated. And so I do like any 21st century person does, and I go scroll on Instagram for 11 minutes mindlessly, right? Looking through Instagram reels. And this old reel I've seen a dozen times by a, a preacher who I, I, I appreciate named Vody Bauckham. This, this, this Instagram reel comes up of him sort of summarizing the gospel in a minute. And I just listened to Vody. Let that word preach over me. And I thought, that's it. So let me borrow from Vody Bauckham a bit and, and help us understand why it is so important that we believe that these stories are true, that this really happened. Think about the story of humanity with me. God created the world. God formed man from the dust of the earth that he created. And then he placed man in a garden and he gave man a command. And he told man, if you obey this command, you will live. If you disobey this command, you will die. And this man who God formed from the dirt, who God fashioned from the dirt, this man rebelled against the one who made him. He ate of the fruit and he turned his back on his creator, believing himself to be greater than the creator. And because he ate the fruit, sin entered the world. And as sin entered the world, so did death. And that sin and that death then passed from generation to generation. And to quote Vody Bauckham, everyone who was born of ordinary generation now then inherits this sin nature. And each one of us then faced death. And now as we look into the broken world within which we each live, and as we look into our own broken lives, we see the ongoing results of that sin. 
And as sinful and broken as we are, we recognize as we stand broken and sinful, we stand before a holy and righteous God and in, in his infinite purity and goodness and righteousness and in our guilt, we recognize there is a great chasm that exists between us and God. And so what did God do? Bring in Luke chapter 1. God sent into this broken world filled with broken people his very own son. His son who was not born of ordinary generation but was born of a virgin. The virgin birth matters. Because Jesus was not conceived and born in the natural way, he did not inherit the sin of Adam. That sin which passes from generation to generation. Those born of ordinary generation are born into sin. But Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of a virgin. And therefore he was not born of sin. He was sinless at birth and remained sinless throughout his life. He's sinless today being fully God and fully man. And so when he comes to planet earth, what does Jesus do? He lives a sin-free life. He's got a infinitely pure and perfect and clean record. Being fully God, Jesus obeys God's law. He lives perfectly. He perfectly is obedient to the law of God. Being fully God, he perfectly obeys the law of God in our place. And being fully man then, he identifies with us when he willingly dies in our place. The prophet Isaiah said, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, but the Lord has laid upon him, upon Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He bore our sin. Christ died in our place for our sin once and for all, the just for the unjust. And as he was nailed to the cross, Jesus carried with him our sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus carried our cross to the sin. He suffered under the penalty of our sin. And our sinfulness then is nailed to the cross as Jesus died in our place, fully satisfying the justice of God. Our sin placed upon him, nailed to the cross, forever dealt with. And then Jesus rose on the third day. And just as he took our sin, just as our sin was placed on Jesus, he now places his righteousness on us. The person who places their faith in Jesus Christ is declared righteous. That person is saved, is forgiven, is redeemed, is born again into the family of God. This is why this announcement is taking place. This has been the eternal plan of God since before history began to redeem his people. And we're watching in Luke chapter 1 as God is kicking that off through this young woman. This is the good news. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a Savior who has died in our place. This is the gospel that saves us from our sins. This is also the gospel that transforms us and molds us and sanctifies us into saints. This is the redemptive plan of God that is brought forth by his Son. And so this is why Jesus had to come. This is why the virgin birth. This is why God chose Mary. This is why Jesus went to the cross. This is why we gather here today. To fix our eyes on Christ this Christmas. To entrust ourselves to him. To worship him. That we might be saved by him. Make much of him. And as this truth, this truth, this eternal truth is transpiring and unfolding, the angel looks at Mary one last time and he says, Mary, for all things will be possible with God. Nothing will be impossible with him. And so he looks at Mary, this young gal, trying to comprehend this reality that's been announced to her, and he says, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this thing, Mary. You need to hear me. 
You're going to conceive a child as a virgin with no man. And I know that seems impossible because it is impossible apart from God. But just like your cousin Mary in her old age, beyond child-rearing years with a barren womb, just like God has miraculously allowed her and Zechariah to conceive, God is going to place a miraculous divine child in your womb. Because with God, all things are possible. And the response of Mary is incredible. She believes she believes the announcement of this angel, the word of God that has been revealed. She, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And that's the last thing we see in our text today. We see God's willing servant. We saw God's word announced. We saw God's way revealed. And here in this young woman who's obedient to the will of God, we see God's willing servant. Servant, We see Mary modeling a willing submission to God. And on some level, her eyes were open to this thing that God was doing. She sees God's eternal plan to save and redeem his people is unfolding before her. She sees that God has invited her to be a part of his plan of redemption. And she says, I'm in. I'm in. God, whatever you, do, whatever you desire to do in me and through me, I'm, I'm yours. And she does so with joy. We just skip a few verses ahead. What's famously called the Magnificat, this this song of praise that Mary sings to the Lord. She's worshiping him and praising him for the work he's doing. Mary's life did not get easier because of what transpired. You try being a, a unwed, pregnant mother in the first century in Jerusalem. You try watching your son be nailed to a tree and die in your very presence. Her life was difficult and hard in a worldly sense, because of the will of God unfolding in her life, but the eternal sense, like God was using this woman to bring about his eternal plan. She was a vessel, a conduit, a means by which God was accomplishing his will. Now listen, this was the plan of God from eternity past. I was thinking about this all week. I was thinking it's not as if the angels were up in heaven and God was up in heaven and they were wringing their hands just hoping, hoping that Mary would say, yeah, I'm in. This is the plan of God that's going to unfold regardless This isn't about Mary. This is about what God is doing to save and redeem his people. This is a plan of God before he said, let there be light. And he's invited Mary to be a part of it. And she sees what God is doing. And she says, I'm in. I'm your willing servant, Lord. And so this is the story. We see God's word announced. We see God's way revealed. And we see God's willing servant. But that's not all that's here. Real quick. If you would, turn back with me to verse 31. As this angel is making this announcement to Mary, he says to her, Behold, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name, say it with me, Jesus. What name? Jesus. The name above every other name. This is not just a random name picked out of a Rolodex of first century names. This is a very carefully chosen name that God himself is giving to his son. What does the name Jesus mean? It means Savior. So of all the things that God is doing here, his, his plan from eternity past to redeem humankind, this grand plan, this mighty, this mighty one, this, this, this king who is the son of God, whose kingdom is eternal, he is also Savior. And this is what we, we read in other Gospels as the angel is speaking to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. He says, Mary will have a son. You will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
So among all this grand stuff that God is doing, he's, also, he's coming to save. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Jesus said as much in Luke 19, verse 10, when he was giving his own personal mission statement. What did Jesus say? He said, I, the Son of Man, have come to seek and to save the lost. He drew near to us. He pers- this is the ultimate love story of wandering sheep who don't know what they know, who don't know what they need, and he comes to, to humankind. He breaks into human history. He dawns flesh to pursue us and chase us down and love us and save us. That's why the manger had to happen. That's why Mary had to bear as a virgin this child who was both fully God and fully man. I just read to you John three sixteen and 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus is Savior. Do not forget that, church. As we gather on this Christmas, as we fix our eyes on Christ on this Christmas, you need to know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. And there is none other. There is no other name under heaven by which mankind can be saved. He is the only one who can save you from your sins. I open today with a story of my grandson Wilson's birth. And as we unpack Luke chapter 1, we've been looking at the, the virgin birth of Jesus. But today there's also another birth story that's being told in our midst, isn't there? Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. See, each one of us who come to faith who come to Jesus in trusting faith, each one of us, we have a story of new birth. We're born again into the family of God. We are saved by this new birth. The Apostle John, in the introduction to his gospel, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, he says this. He says, All who receive him, Jesus Christ, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, the name Jesus, the name that saves, to all who did this, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. See, the other birth story being told this Christmas is your birth story, your new birth story, your rebirth story. For those of you that have come to faith in Jesus Christ and you have gone from death to life, you are reminded of that saving work of that new birth God has given you in his son. Worship him today with gratitude for the saving work he's done in your life. But my guess is there are some in our midst today who've never come to saving faith who've never come to faith like Nicodemus, who've never come and and experienced what it is to to both believe, receive, and become. And so listen, if you're here this morning and you've been doing the church thing or you haven't been doing the church thing, or you're here with a friend and, and you don't know much about spiritual things, or you've been going to church for years but it's never really connected, I'm asking the Holy Spirit in this moment to open up your eyes and to soften your heart that in this moment you would you would come in faith to Jesus Christ, that you would believe in him and in his saving work, that you would receive Jesus Christ into your life by faith, both receive him as your Savior and also your Lord, and that by believing in him and his work and receiving him into your life, you will be saved, you will be born again into the family of God. And as the headlines twirl on planet Earth today, The headlines that are threatening to grab your attention, the most significant headline ever to be told in your life is the one that speaks of the day you were born again. There's nothing more significant in your life. So today, may you believe in his name. 
receive him as Savior and Lord and become a child of God as you're born again into the family of God. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I'm mindful today of those men and women here who have trusted you. They have been born again. They have a story to tell. God, would you in this moment allow those of us who have come to faith in you, Jesus, to to, to go back to the moments, the seasons, the times when you revealed yourself to us. God, open our eyes, remind us uh, that there may be new and fresh worship of you for the saving work you've done in us. Thank you for saving us. May our worship be infused with joy as we reflect on the saving work you've done in our lives. But, oh, Father, today I am so mindful of those men and women in our midst right now, those children in our midst who have never come to saving faith. They've never had a moment in their life, a time in their life, where they've turned their face to you and responded to the gospel. God, I pray that today would be that day. God, there's nothing magical about the prayer. It's the expression of faith in our heart that this prayer represents. But God, would you allow those of us in this room who desire to be saved today, who desire to come to you in faith, God, would you enable us by your spirit in this moment to pray this prayer of faith. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, the Mighty One, the Eternal King whose kingdom never reigns. I believe, Jesus, that you are who you said you are. I believe in the work you did to save me on the cross. I believe you defeated death and you're alive today and you've made a way for me to be saved. So today, today on this Christmas Eve, Lord, I am receiving you, Jesus, into my life as both Lord and Savior. Save me from my sins and be the Lord of my life as I seek to walk with you, that I might be born again and become a child of God. Have your way with me, Lord. And God, I just... I pray for those men and women today who maybe for the first time in their lives in these last few moments have turned their face to you in faith. God, I pray that you would, God, continue to reveal yourself to them. God, continue to walk alongside them, Lord. Surround them with brothers and sisters who can journey with them as they seek to live as a child of God. Thank you for your eternal plan of redemption. Thank you for breaking into history. Thank you, God creator God for becoming part of your creation that we might be saved. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.